Welcome back to Toys on Tap. This week we have another incredible artist, False Idol Toys. His paint apps, his work with sculpting, his toy designing, all are just out of this world. And we get to journey with him all the way through the process. And it doesn't stop there because he's also in a band. If you want to support Toys on Tap, you can like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow us on all social medias. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel to see unboxings and toy reviews. And if you want a little bit more, you can jump on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Toys on Tap. You'll be able to hear artists like False Idol Toys an extra 20 to 30 minutes a week for only $3 a month. Now let's get to this week's episode of Toys on Tap. Alright, can you hear me? Absolutely. Sorry about that. No, 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 no apologies. When's the last time you used Zoom? Like three years ago. (laughs) During the the pandemic. Yeah, so you get a pass then. It's the people that used it like last week and this stuff happens and we're like, okay, have we not learned? Yeah, I used to have to use it for work meetings every week, but since then I deleted it from my phone and haven't used it. Yeah, I, it is crazy. It's the only thing that I use it for is the podcast. I don't use Zoom for anything else because it yeah, just, makes sense. yeah, it's just not usable anymore. Man, I'm pumped that you're on though. Um, I'm stoked to be on, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, is this your first podcast you've been a part of? Yeah, actually, yeah, absolutely. Hell yeah, it is. We, you know, every once in a while, I'll put out a thing that says like, "Hey, are there are there artists that you want to see on? Is there anyone that uh, you feel that we just haven't gotten to?" And every time false idol toys has come up. Oh, wow. That's cool. And I, it's different people that say it, but they want to hear from you. They're, the people are crying for you. <laughs> that's really cool to hear. Uh, so yeah, we, I'm pumped. I have so many questions about it. And um, I don't know if you've heard an episode of toys on tap before. Um, yeah, actually, uh, uh, while I was at work today, I listened to a couple of the most recent episodes. Awesome. Awesome. With Eddie and Naya and uh, who is the other Swedish maid? Yeah. And then I also uh, went back and listened to uh, uh, Cool Cat Toy Co. Heck I love yeah. That guy. Um, yeah. You know, the earlier I always tell people like the really early episodes were rough, right? Like I, it was trial and error. We were trying to figure out what this whole podcast thing was about, all that stuff. And so it was just um i always tell them like maybe don't listen to those ones right away maybe we we work our way backwards <laughs> yeah that's what i tend to do when i'm listening to a new podcast i start with like the newer stuff and then kind of go backwards and then once i'm into it then i like go deep diving and start way at the back and then you know just i i kind of like hearing trial and error kind of stuff anyway i love hearing things come to fruition you know yeah that, we were that yeah and we were figuring it out right like this um there's been a couple toy podcasts that did this kind of stuff interview style and they've all just gone to the wayside either from the artist no longer making or um just lack of time and so to pick up a mantle like this it, it was just such a weird thing to do because it it just wasn't being done 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm pumped. You're here. Uh, before we jump in any further in any conversation or anything, please, please introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do. Sure thing. Uh, I'm False Idols Toys or Nathaniel Roseberry or Nate. Um, I do resin casted toys, uh, soft vinyl or sofubi toys. Um, I also do screen printing collaborations and illustrations. Uh, I make small comic books. Um, I kind of have my foot in a lot of stuff, um, mostly just because I'm super ADHD, um, but also just because I, I love to make all the things. So like why limit myself? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, anyone that says they have ADHD, I feel that at a real visceral level. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all too real, but you know, make the best of it and you know move forward with stuff like that and you know if you can harness it to some creative outlet like you can do some really amazing things yeah so and what's crazy too is like we always look at the artists and their bios and go through all their page and everything and even your bio screams what we're talking about right now like designer sculptor painter illustrator Toy producer, and then we got something in there that I for sure want to talk about. Drummer for Dumbwaiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, music was definitely my first major creative outlet with like any real like success from the public. Like people kind of interested in it. I mean, I've done a lot of bands throughout the years, and like music was really my first artistic love. Um, I started when I was really young, um, playing drums when I was really young. Um, and then from there, I started playing trumpet in third grade and, um, just from there, it just kept going and I ended up quitting trumpet, getting into rock bands, playing like alternative rock and stuff like that instrumentally. Um, and then it got into like metal and punk and hardcore and, then it kind of like all got put into a blender, and that's kind of where Dumbwaiter came from. Oh, which is we, yeah, we got instrumental fun. <laughs> yeah, I listened. So before this episode, I listened to the most uh, recent release, um, and went through all of them. And at each song that came on, I was like, okay, they're like, I can't wait to hear lyrics, but they're like it's instrumental, which was yeah. appealing because all of my music go kind of bounces along with my ADHD brain at like that rhythm. Mm -hmm. And so it was good to hear something that had no singing like that felt great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. Um, it's like creating little vignettes or scenes almost, you know, it's almost like with writing this type of music, it's almost like writing a play, um, or, um, like a screenplay or a stage play, like, there tends to be acts that you want to embellish. And then there's, you know, there's smaller, smaller parts that are more like transitional parts. Empire Blister. <laughs> Empire Blisters. 
specializing in action figure blisters. 2.75 inch or 19 different styles. Two, two sizes of clamshell figure cases. Four, four different bulk pack options. Quantities of 100, 100 sample packs available. Empire, Empire Blisters. Now sponsoring Toys on Tap. That means a 10% off coupon on checkout. Use code Toys on Tap 10. That's C-O-Y-S-O-M-T-A-P-1-0. Empire Blisters. Um, and then there's yeah, some things that want to take up a lot of space. And some, so it's a, uh, especially with the way that we write music now, it's a lot of um, letting the parts kind of tell us how long they want to be. Because for the longest time, it's like, okay, let's play everything really short. We put a bunch of really short parts together and like make it work somehow. And now we're letting the music breathe a little bit more. And, uh, and, and yeah, like kind of like I was saying, like let it be more like a, a film or a, a, a stage play uh, where there's a lot of conversation and things like that. Oof, oof, oof. I like that a lot. Um, before we jump forward, we have to jump back. Obviously, toys and art play a huge part in your life, uh, so much so that it's it's what you do. And so absolutely, walk me back. You're a child. You're watching Saturday morning cartoons. What kind of toys do you have? Are you collecting? Are you asking for all those? Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, I was born in 1983. Mm. So I am 41 now. I just turned 41 in January. So I am a kid of the 80s, all the fun stuff. And I was a huge fan of Masters of the Universe. I was a huge fan of Thundercats, um, G.I. Joe, Transformers. Um, all the fun stuff. And then I, I lived when I was really young, we kind of lived near Kmart. And so I would be at that toy aisle all the time, just like falling over the toys, just like looking at all the colors and the packaging. Half the time it wasn't even about getting the toys. It was about looking at the toys just because they were so beautiful. <clears throat> and um, so, you know, I was, when I was a kid, I was watching those cartoons. That stuff was a big, had a big impact on me. Um, and then, of course, when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, that changed everything for me. It was huge. The the combination of goofy and silly with a little bit of gross, especially in the toy sculpt, was just like mind blowing to me. The tactileness of the sculpture was just insane. Like all the little things hidden all over the place, like little dead fish in their bodies and like little cans and, you know, all that stuff, but from the bad guys. And, oh man, that stuff was just so awesome. And then all the neon colors and then popping over to like Toxic Crusader and all that stuff was, you know, somewhat linked because I'm pretty sure they were the similar sculptors. Yeah. Um, but man, that, that stuff was everything to me. I still have a bunch of my... Uh, Ninja Turtles VHS cassette tapes, just I have all that stuff. Like, I'm a huge fan of that. It's crazy to look like I, so I was born in the 90s. And uh, so it's like the toys I had, very different. Yet there's a similarity in how tactile or how uh, playable the toys were. Like there's something I, I always talk about uh, Cowboys of Moon Mesa as the, the toys that like I absolutely grew up with and loved. And there's so much that is similar between those and Ninja Turtles or those and 
the Toxic Crusaders because they both like they look different. They feel different than just the normal G.I. Joe or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and all of those guys, they kind of feel like they almost live in the same universe, like on the same planet or something. Like, yeah. Although they're all, you know, different makers, different creators, different companies, you know, like mutant turtles, mutant cows, mutant, you know, like people mutated by floods, you know, the 90s love mutants. <laughs> yeah what was crazy like in the 90s it seemed in like the late 80s it seemed like anytime they wanted like the success was get me an animal give me some kind of sci-fi or science thing throw them together and then we'll produce it. it's like street sharks and cyborgs and cowboys and mesa and ninja turtles just non-stop yeah. <laughs> yeah, what like Bucky O'Hare and all those mm-hmm. guys too. Yeah. They just yeah, could right. not do anything other than that. <laughs> hey, they knew, they knew that kids were gonna buy. Heck so yeah. <laughs> At what point did the catastrophic um thing that kind of always happens, did we get rid of our toys or box them up and kind of grow up a little bit? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um I would say when I probably when I became sixteen or seventeen, uh, I put a lot of that stuff in boxes and storage. Um, not for any other reason that I didn't really it was like music at that point. Music was everything for me. So like three D and two D art wasn't a huge part of my life. Um, it was all about sonic art. Um, so <clears throat> that stuff went in boxes. I honestly didn't think about toys other than passively for 10 to 12 years. I mean, it probably wasn't until my early 30s that I got all that stuff from my parents' house uh, because they were moving out of the house. Like so I got all that stuff um, and I started opening the boxes and I was getting battle beasts out and I was getting muscle man figures out. And I was getting Ninja Turtles out and He-Man figures and all this stuff. And I was just like, man, this shit is cool. I love yeah. all this stuff. And from there, like, that was kind of also around the same time that I got on Instagram. And so I just kind of started following, like, vintage toy accounts. Um, you know, people that were collecting, like, you know, doing full collections of female figures and displaying them. I'm like, man, that looks so cool. You know, that was what I always wanted my stuff to look like when I was a kid, you know. Um, but now we're adults and we can actually do it and not have to take it down and put it away. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's like, is that reigniting some stuff in you when you see all this stuff? Oh, hugely, hugely. Um, it just, it made me like, because re- I, I, I mean, I was into toys and shellacks. 13 or 14 or 15, which some people would say is a little late for some people, but some people say, <laughs> obviously, no, not at all. We're, they were in our 40 and playing with toys. Yeah. But um, yeah, like when I started picking that stuff up, it was just like, it just, you know, like put me back. That level of nostalgia was crazy. Um, and so, like, all, uh, you know, six months later or whatever, I start seeing like, neon gi joes and neon pink and crazy colored like he-man 
stuff. I'm like, what is this? And then I start discovering the bootleg culture. And I was like, whoa, like people are doing their own versions of like Star Wars figures. And that's when I found Scott Terry, uh, Barbarian Rage. And I was yeah. like, whoa, uh, went back when he was doing his Star Wars bootlegs. And so like, I quickly got really into that. And, you know, I would do, he was doing like comment auctions. And so I, I won a couple of his really cool um, Star Wars maps, uh, a Darth Vader and a C-3PO. And so like from there, I was like, well, who else is doing this kind of stuff? And so I found like other artists that were doing similar stuff, but different, like uh, Super Secret Fun Club that was doing like weird bootleg toy, like bubblegum wrappers from you know, movies that was packaged like it's a toy or like, you know, a, a little bag of dirt from a movie that was a specific theme. I was like, whoa, these are toys? Like, what are we, what is this? Yeah. What does this mean? I was like, this is weird. This is crazy. And so, you know, I started doing the deep dive into like the designer toy scene and discovered like DKE and all of these guys doing like, there was people that were putting these toys out and like there was you know, companies that were starting to pick these ideas up. I was like, whoa. And so um, from there, I was like, well, I mean, I've sculpted stuff before. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I could sculpt something and do something. And so, yeah, I, I started doing some research into like resin casting. And uh, I ended up going to a toy show in Baltimore that uh, Basement Pew posted. Um, called the Dead Have Resin. Um, and I met a friend of mine named Justin from Virginia Beach. I'm here in Richmond, Virginia, so it's like an hour away from me. And we started talking, and he offered to teach me how to uh, cast resin. And um, from there, I just would drive down to Virginia Beach a couple times a month and cast stuff that he had done. And then I had sculpt finally finished the sculpt and we ended up uh doing a cast of some of the stuff that I had done. Um and then I ended up buying my own pressure pot and then it was resin casting for the next three or four years. Man, I have so many questions along the way. Um when you I mean to see someone like Scott Cherry doing uh work with his double cast and his like insanely clean work. And then to also see Super Secret at the same, like around the same era, those are vastly different toys. And so to like, to see both of those, your toy making or like what toy making is, is shaped and sculpted by like both of those two together. Did uh, seeing those or encountering those types of toys at the beginning, did that kind of shape where you were headed with your toy making? Um. No, actually. Um, what did was um, Bob Squad, actually. Mm. Because I found an artist that was doing their own sculpt, but doing the same medium and the same concept of casting their own pieces. And so that blew my mind because I was like, wow, I can sculpt my own thing and I can cast it and I can produce this myself. And it doesn't have to be a sculpt that somebody else made. And, you know, I think all that stuff is fantastic. It's beautiful. Like the artists out there doing work with bootlegs is fantastic. 
But at that point in time, that wasn't what was appealing to me. It was mostly like the colors and the medium itself and then the packaging. Like that stuff all grew in the package. And um, yeah, yeah. And then um, I also, um, also around that time, I want to give a shout out to Straight because he was probably the first person that I collected the most from because his work was so so pretty. He was doing bootlegs of muscle figures and I was really into muscle figures at that time. And he was just cranking out the most gorgeous uh, poles of uh, resin-casted uh, muscle figures. His, uh, you know, I remember following him in the early, like when I first began, and then to see his account go down and have to like, he's like rebuilding that account. That's so insane. Yeah, that's awful. Instagram has really uh, screwed a lot of people over Yeah. Holy moly. Um, when you are doing this, we, because you, you, I like that you met basement puke or like went to that. Cause we see a lot of Derek's on your page. Um, when you are starting this process, what are the initial sculpts that you are really like trying to get or trying to do? Um, and then what are the first, like for me, I liked when I first started, I liked the idea of super secret or um, death by toys, like throwing something in a blister seemed like the most fun thing and finding some kind of gag or something like that. Um, what were you sculpting or what were you like trying to make happen in your first toy? So my first toy was like absurdly over ambitious. It was... <laughs> It was about a 12-inch resin captain toy. Oh, my and gosh. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, if you dig back way far, you can see, I maybe did maybe 15 or 20 of them in total, but I had to use, like, the strongest rare earth magnet to keep the pieces. Let's see, it was, it was a leg and torso. Uh, it was a big kaiju guy. So it, it was called Kazan. Um, it was a big kaiju guy. Um, I was just into monsters and stuff at the time. No, nothing, nothing particular other than picking up clay and starting to sculpt really made me sculpt that. It just yeah. kind of came out, um, especially because it was my first one. I don't know what made me go with such a large scale. Um, it was kind of an looking back on it, I feel kind of crazy <laughs> feeling uh, doing that. Um, but yeah, so it was a, a head with three faces. Um, it had three arms that are all articulated. And so the head had this articulation and the three arms had articulation. So it's one, two, three, four, like eight magnets for every figure or something like that. It was, and it was so hard to glue those magnets in place because they wanted to flip on each other and stuff because they're so strong. So I had to like, I had to like clamp the magnets in and use like crazy amounts of Gorilla Glue. So I know a couple people out there still have those guys. Uh, that was the what I was really displaying my first assembly requirement. I kind of got to a point where I only, if I do it, I only cast the head now. Yeah. Um, the head and then like the little Yogan guy that skips inside the volcano head. Yep. Because uh, it's kind of like a volcano god, kaiju monster guy. Nice. Uh, how how beefy is this character like 12 inches is massive um 
what what's the weight like? What are we talking for that much resin I mean, and magnets? It's definitely like a good like pound and a half, couple pounds. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so like shipping it now would just be amazing. It'd be so expensive. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Um, you you talked about the assembly required. Um, I've seen that you've gone to a couple. Have you been to it every year? I've been to it every year since it started. I did not participate in the two years during COVID because I was pretty much doing weekly drops or bi-weekly drops of resin casted stuff. So to participate in that didn't really make sense for me at that time. Yeah. Because I was just like, I was just hustling like crazy during COVID. Like I wasn't working. And so I was just resin casting every single day. Holy jeez. So. so let's talk uh, early, because that's early on in your toy making to immediately go to tabling, right? Like what's what's the time frame from you making toys and your 12-inch to starting at um, assembly required? Um, I would say it was probably two years in. Okay. Because um, within the first year of making toys, I ended up participating in the Dead Have Resin in Baltimore. Uh-huh. Uh, and then that following, no, so... Yeah, so it was that year I participated in Dynamite Resin, and then the following year I participated in Dynamite Resin again. But no, neither of those are paid more events. It's like kind of like a gallery. Okay. Opening. Um, and then that, and that event, I believe, was taking place in like October. And so that following February, I did a tabling event, and I shared a table with uh, Banshee Toys, who was the guy who actually helped teach me resin casting. And then tabling, going to eat or to uh, assembly required and hanging out with everyone and doing all that stuff. How did you go from doing drops every day or uh, not every day, every week to then switching gears to uh, tabling? Because that's a that's a way different thing, right? Oh, it's way different. Um, It's 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 a lot different. In the sense that it requires a lot of talking, um, whereas doing drops on the computer just requires a lot of like redundancy yeah. of like getting on my shop, uploading a photo, giving a description, putting a price, you know, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. Do that twenty times. Um, but where, whereas when you're tabling, especially the first year, uh, nobody had seen that stuff. Uh, in Asheville, nobody knew what this stuff was. So you're explaining the art. You're also explaining who you are because most people are like, "Oh, are you from here?" And then you're like, "No, I'm actually from six hours away." And they're like, "Oh, well, why did you drive six hours away here to sell plastic?" You know, like <laughs> it's a whole lot of like um, explaining yourself. Um, well, in that time, uh, it's a little different now because people are a lot more uh, in tune. To an extent, especially yeah. there. Um, but yeah, that first couple of years was it was very interesting transitioning into a tabling because I had never tabled before. I haven't really seen art toy tables, so I didn't really know what to put on my table other than a couple of toys. I mean, I think the first year I forgot to put prices, uh, you know, I mean stuff like that. Yeah, it's just it was it was very different. It, but 
at the same time, it changed my life because I was able to see all those toy tables and I was able to see what people that had done this before are doing and was able to like figure out how to improve and, you know, make my table more appealing, so to speak. Or, um, and then also I met some friends, uh, so many friends there that I talk to every day, um, pretty literally every single day um, at Assembly Required the, the first year. Um, so yeah, that, that first year changed my life completely. Holy moly. It seems like a cool show. You know, uh, a lot of the artists that have been to Assembly Required have been on Toys on Tap, which is really cool. And, and they've talked about it. Um, and it seems like, if I were to guess, probably the best event, if you've never tabled, like that is a really good starting point. Absolutely. Definitely. It's just pure support. Um, everybody there is just so so cool and creative and everybody's doing their own thing everybody's doing something unique um but it all lives in the same galaxy it, it's such a cool little place to be to yeah. see like just under 40 artists cramming in and it's fun too because like now everybody's using the loophole of like let's put instead of doing one artist on the table let's get two artists on the table and then all those artists have this doing collabs with their friends. So you, then you have like three or four artists on the table. You know, it's like really, if you're looking and you kind of, if you're in the know, you might see 70 artists at assembly required because of the amount of collabs and, you know, artists sending toys to be represented on the tables and stuff. It's, it's just a, it's a crazy cool thing. Um, wow. 70 artists. That's such an insane amount of artists. I mean, on our table alone, we had, seven or eight artists yeah um between because there was four of us this year it was uh spirit ditch toy dirt house vinyl um ed ederson or uh, triple bummer toy and me but then we had basement Youth, we had uh dr doom tone uh we had several other artists on the table as well so you know we're just yeah, trying to be there, showcasing everybody. Everybody makes such cool stuff in the scene. It's it's like it's a crime not to do, not to not to have more than just my stuff on there. Yeah, um, with all the different things that you do as far as toys, with sculpting and casting and molding, painting, um, designing, where do you find yourself fitting most in this? So when you're like with um the toys from basement puke that i've seen it looks like you're doing all the painting on those um i've seen you do some like of your casting and stuff where do you find that your niche or where you really like to stay is right now i would say that i'm kind of been really into the painting thing um, yeah I've been having a lot of fun playing with the airbrush um once I was able to, like, it took me a while to... We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, the galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have an engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved, DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys! Oh. 
Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE. It's a fine tank that I like because I, was, I didn't know where to go. Um, I was just using acrylics and stuff like that early on, and they don't stay on vinyl very well. Um, so it took a little while to like figure out what to do, but once I was able to like, uh, once I got Vinyl Wonder, it really kind of changed my ability to do a lot more with vinyl because of how quick it dries. That really is everything. Because I'm so like plastic with the, with the way my brain works. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I'm like thinking two colors, three colors ahead. And before I would like, I would smear paint and stuff like that. And like, it was very frustrating trying to, trying to learn to paint vinyl. So, um, but now, it's, I think that's where I feel the most comfortable. I mean, I love sculpting. Um, that's probably my favorite, favorite thing to do. Um, but because of how quick I can get my paint set up uh, done and I can, I get to be outside. So there's a, there's a little bit more to it than just the pain. Heck yeah. Um, I saw um, one of the pieces I saw that you painted um, is the, the tower by violence toy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, like as a separate note, that toy is insane. Um, I own a blank and now I own one that was painted by uh, another artist, Dirty Yeti. Um, oh, he's fantastic. You know? Yeah. Like I just, I, I saw the colors and I was like, okay, how do we get that in my collection? But I'm always interested when someone paints that because on his, he, you know, the, the drips and stuff are red as if it's blood. But I looked closely at yours and yours are like this green ooze color, which kind of connects back to this like your love for those 80s and 90s toys oh absolutely that one was a total 80s homage like color definitely and that that one was for a bootleg toy and his stuff gives me those vibes his art just gives me those vibes anyway uh his collaborations with wind the rap boy like that stuff screams ninja turtles to me it just it so like it only made sense to like because he was pretty much just like do whatever you want, and I was like, "Cool, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to like pay homage to like your vibes," and so I wanted to like you know give him something that like he would really like, and I think he I think he liked it. <laughs> it yeah, and it looks incredible, like fantastic job on that. Um, I think that I always love when to look at the artists and and see that the stuff that they talk about, about the love for certain toy lines and stuff breathes through. Um, there's nothing better than to see that line of connection in there. When you are sculpting, because that's like the thing that you love to do as well, do you find that that same line connects? Like, are you still trying to recapture pieces of um, like 80s, 90s in those pieces? Oh, absolutely. Um, for example, uh, the Absorb sculpt is a yep. perfect example of that. That's just straight up my love of Mega Man. That is what that sculpt is. My first love uh, when I was a kid drawing, um, when I was in first grade, I used to love to draw Mega Man characters. Yeah. That was my thing. Um, I got Nintendo Power, um, and I would 
it started off with me like tracing for you know a couple months and like who knows I was looking at them. But then I ended up gaining confidence in my own ability. And so I started making up my own Mega Mega characters. And I did that. I, my mom actually gave me a little portfolio of stuff when I was a kid. And I actually have those a bunch of those drawings from when I was like in first and second grade drawing original Mega Man characters. This is crazy. That's what I love to hear, right? That she like has them and stuff. Yeah. And so like the the weird robot body with the human face is a direct homage to Mega Man with the blaster arm, um, obviously Mega Man. Um, and then it also, um, because it has a bit of, of a duality to it, if you pop the arms out and spin at the torso and pop them back in, it can also be another uh, totally different character. Um, and I always kind of viewed that as like almost like an early Power Rangers kaiju monster guy, like with just like a weird big face that's the size of the body and then the arms just kind of come out of the side of the head. Um, just always scream like Power Rangers or like early Tokusatsu monster. So it's kind of like a fusion between the two of those things. Yeah. I, you know, I am a sucker for anything that has a blaster for a hand. I don't know what the heck that is in my own <laughs> brain, but uh, it makes me think of like the, the Ragnar figure from last bastion as well. Oh, so cool. Yeah. Do anything that has some kind of robotic mega man esque. I'm a sucker for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of those um, older real head figures have those cool blaster arms, like, some super cool old, old more old school so movie stuff yeah um i kind of want to switch gears a little bit because i want to kind of dive into dumb waiter some because yeah, sure. through what's crazy is when you look at most recent releases it's like this year or last year when that one came out mm-hmm. and that's crazy to do alongside of toys and all the things you're doing there and work if you're doing that stuff. So oh yeah, <laughs> yeah we, definitely working. <laughs> yeah. So we talk about like your love and for music and the, the trombone and trombone, correct? Trumpet. Uh trumpet. Trumpet. Um in my head, anything that starts with a T and is a brass instrument is for sure the same instrument. And I know that that's totally. not true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but so you have this love, you do that and you somehow get to drums. Walk me through the beginnings of Dumbwaiter and kind of where you guys are at. So, uh, Dumbwaiter has been a band for almost 11 years. Uh, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so we started, um, really the intention for Dumbwaiter was to just be like a one-off band, like in the sense of like, we were going to play one show. And that's it. Um, so we were, uh, our guitar player had booked Lightning Bolt, which is a pretty wild bass and drum instrumental two-piece from Rhode Island, I believe. And he was really excited about booking the show. And so he asked me, he's like, hey, um, would you want to do like a little weird guitar drums improv band and open for Lightning Bolt? I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. That would be insane. Um, so cut to a couple weeks later, we jammed together and we felt like it would be more fun if we had a couple more people to play with. 
basically. So we ended up bringing our bass player and a saxophone player. And our saxophone player had never played anything like what we were doing yeah. at the time. He was he was coming from like a like a jazz, more jazz background or like an indie rock type background kind of um radiohead kind of stuff. Um so we ended up playing and we ended up writing a couple songs within the first two practices. So we were like, okay, well, maybe this won't be a one-off. And so we ended up writing like four or five songs, playing the show. We were absolutely terrible because we were so nervous, Uh, but it was fun. (laughs) So we decided to continue, um, jump forward. Uh, We recorded an album, maybe nine to 10 months in as a band, writing most of it when we were recording because we were still doing a lot of improvisation. But um, jump to now, about 10 years later, everything is ridiculously composed. Um, we spend a lot of time um, writing the music. Um, hours and hours and hours. Um, so right now, we are actually about to do something pretty cool um, that we're all excited about. Uh, are you familiar with the band Goat Zero? Yes. So um, last time we played in New York, Joe, the guitar player, singer of Gojira, came to our show. Heck um, yeah. And he, he ended up buying some records and a t-shirt and stuff. Um, and he does this thing in, in New York City where he invites bands up and he's got a little recording studio that's also a video studio. And um, he records bands playing like three or four live songs and he puts it up on his YouTube page. Um, and so he had started with the idea and we're like, oh, you know, that would be cool. But, you know, at the time, when we were talking to him at the show, we had no idea who he was. We just were like, oh, this is some cool guy from New York that's inviting us to come record at the studio. Yeah. Come to find out that it's the guy from Gojira. And we're like, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's booked. And we're going up there at the end of March to go record a live session, a live audio video session with Joe from Gojira. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> Awesome, dude. That's it. Congrats. That's amazing. Um, I felt like I sounded uh almost like exasperated when I because I, I don't ever hear that name. And so when someone's like, Do you know them? Yeah, I do. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very surprising. Um because you know, like you know, we've been doing this as an instrumental band for a long time and it's not easy being an instrumental band because people really attach to lyrics and, and, uh, you know, they connect to the lyrics and in music. Um, so often it's a little bit of a niche to, to be doing instrumental music. And so, uh, your audience tends to, you know, you don't necessarily have a, a, as big of an audience as a band that has lyrics. So, what does a show kind of look like for a band with no lyrics? Like what, because that means you have to have people at your show that are there for the love of the music. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, we, um, we really kind of bask in shows that are very uh, musically diverse. Um, Like we love to play with mixed, as many mixed bills as possible. Because, not not because we're not confident in ourselves and our ability to talk or anything like that, but it, it's mostly because, like, 
those types of shows tend to make more sense with Dumbwaiter's way of playing music because that one more, uh, one moment we might be playing metal or one moment we might be playing like music that sounds like John Carpenter movies from the 70s. You know, like it jumps around so much it makes sense to not play a show that's just like one type of music. Yeah. So, uh, it's uh, the, ten, the shows that we tend to play and book ourselves are usually like very musically diverse. Okay. Um, rarely do we play with bands that are too much like us. Um, just because sometimes we feel like we might be a little bit of a sonic overload. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we tend to play with sometimes more palatable stuff to the average listener, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I, with like all the band stuff working and art stuff, how do you find time for any of it? Uh, caffeine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel that on a, a real level. Like there's not a day that I'm not drinking an energy drink or coffee or something to stay like on it. But uh, there's got to be something more than caffeine. Like you yeah, are either yeah. a scheduling master or something. I, it really has a lot to do with just really just wanting to do this stuff. Yeah. Like I really want to do it. So like, I'm not going to sit down and, and play video games when I could be like drawing or sculpting or, right. you know, like, because, like, in my professional life, uh, I'm also a chef. So, like, even when I'm at work, I'm being creative yeah. at all times. So, uh, you know, the plating of food is is very technical. You know, like, it's all about colors. And, and you, you eat with your eye always before you, you know, you ever taste the food. You're looking at it first. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, like... Wanting to carry creativity through my whole life is just, it's just makes sense to me. It, it's also like pure, it's a major therapeutic thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, the world can be a crazy place and art is a fantastic place to be when other things are crazy, you know, like in the creative process. So if I'm just perpetually in the creative process, then I feel like I'm in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. So when you look over your music career, you look over where you are with toys um, and the leaps and bounds and stuff that you've made in both of those, where do you hope that they both go? Oh, I mean, I really, um, I hope to continue and, you know, like these things as so far have been able to mostly pay for themselves. Yeah. So, you know, like, I'm not like in a crazy financial burden from either or any of my artistic endeavors. So as long as I can, as long as I can stay afloat and, and, and make money doing it, not that that's what it's for, but you know, like as long as it's still paying for itself and I'm not like not able to eat because I'm, you know, making music or toys or something like that. Like I'm always going to be doing this. Like this, this is, is the best therapy. It's, once I discovered making toys, it's it made me feel like a, an artist. Like I never felt like an artist before. Yeah, like, it, it was always like 
oh, I drew, I doodle, stuff like that. But once I started making toys, it's like, wow, like, I feel like I'm doing something that might actually, like, I don't know, like, inspire people. You know, musically, I, I love inspiring people, too. So it's like, it's really fun to have outlets that inspire people to continue being creative themselves. It's, you know, that's all I can ask for is to just inspire people and, and hope to be of sound mind to continue making creative stuff myself um, and continue being able to appreciate the same stuff. Because, man, this scene's growing and it's becoming one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah, what's interesting about what you said um, that is really cool, actually, is a lot of people in the toy scene um as they make toys it seems like they have a hard time calling themselves artists but for you it seems flipped that now that you make toys like i'm an artist like i do this um and there there's something amazing about being able to create something with your hands and then point to it and say like yeah i did that why yeah, do you absolutely. think yeah why do you think it's flipped for you why do you think that is because uh, it's so it's refreshing to hear that because all these toy people are artists. They just, for some reason, aren't calling themselves that. Oh, man. Every single one of them is an artist. I think because maybe when um, the majority of my life, I've, I've doodled or, you know, tried painting and stuff like that. And in my head, like I even went, I went to art school. I did tons of figure drawing and painting classes and all that stuff. And I just never felt like I was very good. Like, it just, like, I felt like no matter how hard I tried, it just didn't feel like art. It just felt like I was just, like, always doing some sketch or, you know, like, even yeah. the finished pieces that I did. It just didn't feel like art. It didn't feel like something I would really want to show anybody. It's just like, oh, I did this. But, you know, it's more just about the process, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but once I started sculpting, and uh, making stuff by hand from original ideas, like, I don't know, something changed in my head. Even with my my illustrations and stuff, like, I feel so much more confidence in all of that stuff because I feel like it's all tied together. Now I'm, like, drawing stickers for toys that I'm making. I'm, I'm making packaging and illustrating and, you know, getting on the computer and working on, you know, it's a... It's it's changed my whole perspective about creating physical art um, because like like I said it's something I always wanted to do. I went to art school and stuff like that. I didn't graduate, but I went for like three years. But I never felt like I was an artist, right? Until some, there was something about casting those first boys that was like, "Whoa, I'm making sculptures. Like this is this is." This is cool as shit. Like, what? This is freaking cool. You know, and I, I don't know. Like, it never ceases to amaze me every time I pull uh, uh, a resin cast or um, you get that box of stafubi from Japan or Hong Kong. Like, that box, you open it up and you see those pieces that you made that have been produced. It's just like, it's hard to like feel. Uh, it's it's hard to have another uh, a feeling that's the same as that. Like when you just you're like, wow, I'm like producing these pieces. Like 
I don't need a factory per se, you know, because, you know, in Stokubi, you only have like one dude that's really doing all that stuff. It's not like it's going down the assembly line, you know, and same thing with resin caster, one dude or one chip or one person. It's just like, it's so cool to be like that directly connected to a, a produced piece of work that you want to play. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that it's wild. Yeah. And the cool part about even like, even the pieces that you may not create, but the ones that you're painting, that's still like a very tangible piece of you and a very tangible piece to say like, yeah, what's inside my brain spilled out on this toy. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, painting has been such a fun medium in that way because I can get flash ideas. Like, I can be inspired by some shoot, like a new pair of Nikes, or I can be inspired by a, a 90 Swamp Thing team, or I can be inspired by uh, some fabric that my wife brought home because she's an interior designer. Uh, you know, just like, it's so fun to be able to like see colors and see, I want to use those colors. I can put that on a figure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. When you are like, thinking about your art in general from sculpting and painting or things one of the questions you know uh, we have this part of the podcast called <sighs> nitty, the nitty gritty that's behind it's uh, on the patreon and one of the things that i had asked scott about um is like how do you make sure that you're not complacent or like how are you always growing because you dabble in so many aspects of toy making how do you make sure that you're continually pushing the limits or growing when you're designing and doing that stuff? Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough question. I mean, I feel like um, I feel like I'm constantly lacking in sculpting. I feel like I should always be sculpting, but that's the one thing I tend to do the least of. Yeah, um, and I'm always kicking my own self for that. Um, I've got. Uh, some really cool ideas for sculpts that I'm going to be working on. I've got uh, some uh, really fun idea for Ocular Ramesses show that's coming up. Uh, the, it's going to be like a ro robot theme show. Heck yeah, it is. So yeah, I've got a really fun little... Um, I'm going to try to do a minifigure, uh, original sculpted minifigure for that guy, which will be exclusive to that uh, show. Um, so that should be fun. That'll be a resin piece. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got some ideas for sculpting, um, but yeah, so right now I'm really trying to push myself to get back into sculpting because I've kind of been sitting on the painting thing for a long time. Um, so I need to, to get back, get the clay back in my hands. Um, I'm, what else? <laughs> um, yeah, so pushing myself wise, yeah, it's just, I think just trying to really spend and pay more attention, spend more time and pay more attention to each individual facet of the things that I do instead of, I find right now I'm doing 70% painting. I'd like to dial some of that back and get back into sculpting, get back into uh, a lot more illustration from my packaging and stuff like that. So I think it's just, I, I'm pretty good at, at gauging what I need to be doing 
Um, it's just whether I do it. <laughs> yeah. When, so here's the, you know, it, it's incredible to hear all this stuff happening. And uh, I, for your episode, so we have the podcast and then there's a, an extra 20 minutes that we do. Um, for your episode, I definitely want to dive into each of those things that like help you grow or that you are pursuing as far as painting and sculpting and stuff. Because like, I can't wait to see the piece for the Ocular Rhombus show. Um, because to to sculpt something very specific for a show like that, that means you got something real good in that brain of yours. Oh, yeah. He, we started talking yesterday and I immediately had an idea. Heck so yeah. I, I know exactly what I want to do. Because um, I'm, a, I'm a huge uh, retro band fan. Yep. And uh, like all of his like Mabel inspired stuff. So I was thinking about maybe trying to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. Awesome. Um, the last part of the podcast for every artist we bring on is uh, just a, a moment where you can plug everything that you've got going on and all the stuff um, where people can go to collab with you, where they can go to get in touch with you all that stuff. So this last part is for you to plug everything you've got going on, including Dumbwaiter. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, once again, I'm Paul Seidel's Toys. Um, you can find me at Instagram at False Idols Toys. Um, I've got a False Idols Toys big cartel shop. Got plenty of stuff in there. Lots of assembly required leftovers. Um, I've got, uh, like I said, I'm going to be doing the Ocular Rhombus show coming up. I believe that's at the beginning of April or end of March. Um, I'm going to be doing the uh, Monster Adogo 2 show down in Australia. So that's going to be really cool. The uh, KO Toy Co. Uh, Dollhouse Gallery, and this is not a toy store. They're putting that on. Um, also, um, in November, um, here in Richmond, um, I'm going to be curating um, or, an, a gallery. It's going to be a, a art toy show. So themes still in the works. Uh, I'm going to start putting together an artist list. It's going to be mixed media. It's not going to just be vinyl or resin or anything like that. Uh, but it is going to be toy themed. Um, and that's going to be up for the entire month of November at Gallery 5 here in Richmond. Holy moly. Um, so that's going to be cool. Um, let's see. Uh, Dumbwaiter, you know, we're going to be doing a short run um, at the end of March um, up to New York to do that fun little thing with Joe from Gojira. And then we're also going to, while we're up there, we're also going to be playing with Trevor from Mr. Bungle's band, uh, Titan Tachyons. If any of you guys are fans of Mr. Bungle and live in New York, you should come out to that show. Um, all that information is at the Dumbwaiter page, and that's at Dumbwaiter Band, I believe, on Instagram. I think. I don't know. <laughs> Heck yeah. Like, um, even so that, like, you have no shortage of stuff that's going on. Yeah, I could I could talk and talk and talk about that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> um yeah well dude um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast well thanks for having me sorry i couldn't get my video uploaded i had lots of fun stuff to show